Well, let me open this up in prayer, and then we're going to get right into God's Word. I've got a good word for us this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we just come before you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your Word. Father, as always, it is our aim, it's our heart, not just to be hearers of your Word this morning, but to be doers of your Word. Father, I ask you would open our hearts to receive it. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts not to be offended by it, but, Father, to respond to it, to just spend some time in your presence as we, as we hear your word and ask what you would have us do with your word. Father, we thank you for your abundant love towards us, and not just in Christ on the cross and in the resurrection, but, Father, by the, by the gift of the Holy Spirit and by just the, the quality of life that we get to live, Father, it is not by happen chance. It is not our good luck. It is not our skills that have provided these things, Father. It is you. And we acknowledge you in that, Father, from our health to just, again, the quality of life that we live in here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Lord, we thank you. Father, we acknowledge the, the, the gift that, and continued gifts that you bestow upon us. Father, we ask that you would help us to use the gifts that you've given us, Father, to further your kingdom, to do your works, to do your bidding here on earth in this dispensation of grace that we're walking in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I've got a, uh, just a little encouragement before we kick started here. Here back in June, at the end of June, I invited y'all, or I told you guys about a, a book called The Spiritual Disciplines, thank you, of the Christian Life. And it's by uh, Donald Whitney. I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm not going to preach on that today. But it's an amazing resource. It's got eight different uh, d- disciplines that we need to, to be growing in. And it's my aim that when I get in front of you all to remind you of those, encourage you to grab the book. I've got some of them in my office. I'm happy to share. But to challenge us to commit to growth. To say, God, I, I want to grow in you. It's not just enough that I have salvation. I want to grow in my discipleship. I want to take what you've given me and I want to grow. I want to expand. I want to be able to give what you've given me to others. So I'm going to remind you of those eight uh, disciplines. One is the intake of God's word. So reading, meditating, memorizing God's word. Prayer, whether that's just in your just having a conversation with God in your native tongue of God, here are my needs, here's my heart, if that's exercise in our prayer language. But it's engaging in prayer. It's what we did this morning in worship, right, and in, in coming in song. It's evangelism. That's right. It's sharing Christ with others. It's in serving. It's looking for places to serve, to live out Christ, right, to go that first mile, that second mile, even that third mile, as we're engaging our community. It's stewardship, right? And not just with our finances, but with our time, with our energy. It's saying, God, I'm yours. What would you do with what would you be what would you like to do with me? I'm stewarding what you've entrusted me with. And then it's fasting, silence, and solitude. It's 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 spending that intimate time and saying, I'm gonna set down the, the, the set aside the things that my flesh wants. That may not be sin, it's just what my flesh wants. And I'm going to spend some time in silence and solitude and focus in and have this intensive, intentional time of, of engaging the presence of God. And then the, the, the eighth discipline is, I, I wrote down journaling and lifelong learning. Just being a, a lifelong student. That we can go back into God's word. We can spend that time and say, God, I, I want to grow with you. What, what, what can I do? Where can I add to what you've entrusted me with? Right? Can I, where, where, what I have, where can it be multiplied? And we have this admonition in scripture. In 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9, I think we're going we're gonna to have that up here. I got them, to, got them the scriptures late, so I apologize for that. But in Second Peter 1, 3 through 9, he says, His divine power has granted us, that's you and I, 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's granted those things to us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. So we have precious and great promises that he, he's, he's granted those to us. So that through them, we may become partakers of the divine nature. That humanity can be set aside and we can engage the divine nature. If we've got Christ in us, there's divine nature in us. Right? I know that's true of me because I know when it's not divine nature. Right? Sometimes I go, was that God? Then I reminded of my, divine, my non-divine nature and go, oh, that was definitely the Lord. His divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I still have that. I don't know about you guys. I still have that. My flesh wakes up every morning and wants something it can't have. Sometimes it wakes up with an attitude with me over what it can't have. I know, it's a, it's a battle within for this very reason, make every effort, we're, we're challenged here, make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So here's this building block that we're, we're going to do. When we are doing these things, we're going to be strengthened. We're going to be we're going to have all that we need for the battle of that day. He says, for if these qualities are yours and, and are increasing, they will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend some time today around the word Lord. For, whatever, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And then Peter says, therefore, brothers, and I'll say, and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if we practice these qualities, we will never fail. Doesn't mean we won't fall, but it means we won't fail. So that's my admonition as, we, as I invite you to grab uh, uh, that book on stewardship. It's that, or not of stewardship of discipleship, is that we, we embrace that and say, God, I'm willing to do something with that. I see the admonition in Scripture. Here's a good resource, and I'm a willing vessel. When those three things come together, amazing things can happen. So this morning, my aim is to take you on an adventure. Yay! I want to take you down memory lane. my desire as we go throughout this morning that you are reminded of your own story of when, you've, when you came to the Lord. And if that's not your story, I'd love to talk to you. Hopefully this morning I can make a convincing argument and you want to fight me or discuss it with me or give your life to the Lord. What I really want to do is I want to invite the Holy Spirit to breathe fresh passion and hope in us for those in our sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence, right? We all have a loved one that doesn't know the Lord or maybe has just grown stagnant in their walk with the Lord or questioning some things. We have friends. Some of us, I'm not, I don't have grandkids yet, but I've got grandkids that you go, man, I want my grandkids to know the Lord. I don't want them to walk the road I walked and struggle the way that I struggled to know God. I don't want them to have to do all of that. Can they just, can they come early, right? We've got friends, we've got neighbors, we've got coworkers. Look at this. <laughs> Children. Sons. We all have somebody, as just we walk in community as we engage humanity that doesn't know God. Or maybe you don't know it, but they do know God. And there's some synergy, there's some encouragement, some mutual encouragement that can happen as we fellowship around the things of God. 
right? I, I know many a story of uh, sharing Christ, you know, two, three months into knowing someone, only to find out they were a believer too. And creating community and synergy. I know uh, one of the young men who normally works in our sound booth, Christian, that's what he has found at his work, is that there's another brother in Christ who loves the Lord. And he went from, man, I don't want to get up at five in the morning to, I can't wait to hang out with my buddy that also loves the Lord. As they're scheming to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to engage their, their boss and their coworkers. And they're asking God, is there something that can be harvested here? Is there something I can, can give back to you, Lord? So I've titled this message, What Does It Mean to Be the Sons or Daughters of God? What is the, meta, the metamorphosis that we go through to be able to claim such a holy title? I mean, think about it. I mean, as Cornell was speaking last week about back in Genesis, I mean, this God who speaks in all of all of we call nature, everything changes just by the words of God. His breath, he speaks, right? This God, the creator of the universe, has made a way for us to be called the sons and the daughters of him. We're not just image bearers, but we're sons and daughters. And in Christ, we're sons and daughters in right standing. That's us. That's, that's no small thing. You know, I've heard people say, we've heard this in some church lingo, it's scriptural too, but we hear it in church around Christianity, that I've given my life to Christ, or I've said the sinner's prayer, or I've been born again. But what does that really mean? What are the practical steps of that holy transaction? Because it is a holy transaction. And as I look here, I mean, I know that most everybody I know that I'm in, personal or intimate relationship with fellowship with that you've walked that. I know your story. I know your, your testimony or I know some aspect of it. But really what is the, the transaction, right? We've, I've, I've listened to different uh, testimonies and God shows up in different ways, but it's always the answer is the same, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is that answer. So this morning, I'm going to give you the three C's of our salvation. Woohoo! Our first C is conviction. Do we all remember in our story that, that time of conviction? I know I do. I know for a long time I lived under conviction. Just was a part of my life. Right? And not just conviction, but because of the, the devil... Shame and accusation and just this constant I'm not enough and God wouldn't want me the way that I am. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. Too broken. Or a term I heard Cornell use the other day is extra. Someone's too, they're just, they're a little extra. My story was a little extra. I knew God could, I knew of him doing good things or great things and people that weren't quite as broken in me as me, but and could he really do something with my story? But in conviction, right, I've shared with you guys about Scott Robbins, who God used to lead me to the Lord. That conviction came, but not just conviction, but conviction with hope. Right, as he told me about Christ and as he lived Christ, and I knew his story and what, that by all points and purposes he had experienced a lot of what I experienced but he had hope he had joy he had peace that Christ was enough for him and I'd seen him living Christ he wasn't peddling something that it that wasn't real but it was that that conviction It's that conviction that said, man, maybe what Scott's bringing is truth. And I knew that that was true because it was unsettling in me. I knew that if I stood before the right, a righteous God that I wasn't ready for him. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. I mean, 
I don't know about you guys, I've heard, I've heard lots of stories about hellfire and brimstone messages. And fear has drawn me to do a lot of things in life. But what I found is I can overcome my fears in most cases. Right? I can get bigger, stronger, meaner, tougher, run faster, move, move to the other side of town, get a different job. I can find a way to overcome my fears. But I couldn't find a way to overcome conviction. And I'm not even kicking hellfire and brimstone messages. If that's the start of that relationship with you and God, thank the Lord for that. But he's got so much more for us than fear. Right? I can look into the word and go, man, hell scares me. It should scare us. Eternity's a long time. I can't wrap my mind around it. But the idea of eternity, it's scary. If you don't know the Lord, it should be really scary. So conviction, it's important. We need it. God, would you convict me? Right? I would even offer to you that we get comfortable with the word conviction because it's conviction is something that's going to be with us until the day that we draw our last breath. Because conviction is something God uses to sanctify us in the, in the process of sanctifying us, right? I think that everything is good and God will lay something else and say, hey, I want to refine that in you. And there's that conviction again that says, would you bring that to me? Would you give me access to that part of your life? And I wrestle. I do. I'll offer to you that I do. I wrestle him. And God, I've really grown comfortable with that part of my life. I don't see that's that big of a problem. Here's the other things I'm doing for you or doing with you. He says, but I want that. I'm going to have to go back and I know that God has good for me. So I yield. So we want to embrace conviction. It's really, it's a gift from God. Our second C is confession. And confession is simply our heart's acknowledgement of our sin debt. And the belief that Christ is the only one who can save us from the righteous judgment and justice of God. Right? We know, right? Before I knew the Lord, I knew conviction, as I said. I knew that things weren't right. I knew what a rotten piece of work I was. I didn't need someone to tell me that, right? I mean, I had that monologue going on inside me. But there was no one who could help me with that, right? The best that we can do outside of Christ is medicate or avoid, find something. That's what medicating is. It's finding some, whether it's a product or a, a way that we spend our time, some avoidance of the reality of conviction, knowing that we can't do something about it. And that's a tough place to be. A lot of you, it's a great place to be too because It'll keep us looking for the answer, right? I know I looked for the answer. I looked for Christ in a lot of things. But when Scott introduced me to the Lord, I was, I was so grateful that I, I saw something. I didn't just hear something. I saw something that gave me pause. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart... One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's that easy. For all the hot mess that my story was, it was that easy. And it didn't move me to perfection, but it moved me to the perfect one. Right? I mean, it did. That's, that's our story. I believe that that's our story here. That we needed Jesus. And we were just able to say... God, I'm willing to uh, make the great exchange. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I'm lost without you. That a righteous God has this righteous standard. And not just was I born into sin, and I found new ways to add to that list of my sins. In my desperateness, in my carnality, I gave way to my flesh. And sure, we can all, we all, and I don't want to dismiss our stories, but we all have a story of how life could have been better growing up. 
right? And, there, and I, I think that's that window of age of accountability. God says, hey, that's your childhood, and I cover you there. But we come to this age of accountability, right? And he says, man, it's not because of the sins of my father or my mother or the things that have happened to me. There's a point at age, this age of accountability, I begin to make my own choices, and I become responsible for my own sin. And what am I going to do with that part of my story? I don't get to say, hey, that's because of mom's sin or dad's sin or where I grew up. There's a place that I have to own. It's me. That's confession. Right? Again, it's simple. It's just this acknowledgement that, God, you're righteous and I'm not. I'm sin infested. In fact, there's, I'm so sin infested that you're not going to come and make me a better person. You invite me to this great exchange, my life for your life, right? He doesn't come clean me up and I'm a better version of me. <laughs> well, that's Johnny with a little bit of Jesus. No, no, no. It's, it's Jesus comes and lives in me. And right in sanctification, he begins to the process of working more and more Johnny out of me, of my sin nature. So we move from the, from the third or the second sea of confession to conviction. And conviction is just that. It's the great exchange or conversion, excuse me. And conversion is just the process of justification, right? He takes the old me and by the grace of God, he gives me Christ. Justification, justified or justification is the term used for what happens when we accept the gift afforded to us by Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection in exchange for our sin-bound life. Right? I can tell you guys, as Heather and I engage in counseling uh, downstairs in, our, in that ministry there, I can't think of one person that showed up and goes, I'm at the top of my game. Life is so perfect. I just, I think I'm missing this Jesus fella. Right? It's, at, it's at this broken place when our lives are a hot mess that we go, this is unbearable. Who will save me from this, this life of sin, this bondage that I'm in? Right, that, that picture of just brokenness, hopelessness. Right? And without Christ, we're, that's, that's us. And we can deceive ourselves and say, oh, there's not this and there is that. And, but as... We know this, right? We know that there's more. That conversion is the exchange of my sin, my life of sin, my death destined to, to die and be separate from God, my bondage for Christ's coming to live in and through me. It's the ongoing process of me you're the me's of making him Lord and master of my life. It's, the, it's that exchange. And it's not just believing as in, I believe the carpet's purple. It's this believing that says, I believe, and it's action, right? It's the believing and making him Lord. It's not just a believing of the mind. It's a believing of the heart that takes us into this, these steps of these action steps. It says that we make him the Lord of our life, right? Redeemed means, right? I was deemed for something and he's redeeming me. He's bringing me back to that place of what I was originally before the sins of Adam and Eve that I was destined for, to be in that relationship with him. And in that conversion, this beautiful, exciting adventure begins, as does this process of sanctification. And I can tell you, you know, I've shared with you guys about Scott Robbins, God using him in my life, but not just did God use Scott in my life, but, you know, I worked at a, a, a place uh, that we had several hundred employees, and over a three-and-a-half, four-year period, those employees got to see this, this work that God was doing in my life. My employer that I was really close to in this tight office got to experience not the goodness of me, but the goodness of God. He got to see 
This guy that was a womanizer no longer be a womanizer. This guy that when he would make mistakes, apologize, repent. When I, early on in that place of employment where I had stolen money from him, one dollar at a time as a, as, a, as a doorman at a hotel, and come back because God said, go apologize to him, go repent. And he said, and I thought, Lord, I'm going to go to jail. I'm too pretty to go to jail, Lord. That's not going to work for me. You know it's true. I'm that pretty. But having to obey the Lord and, and do that, that challenge to obey the Lord, and my employer forgiving me, literally saying, what is it you need from me? I need you to acknowledge that I did it. I need, if there's some steps to restitution, if I'm fired, I just assumed I was going to be fired. Are you going to do it again? No. Get back to work. Okay. Wow. But what that confession did for me, right, is it removed the shame and it removed the, the division between the owner of that company and myself. And it took the hammer that Satan was beating me with out of his hands. And I was freed, right? And a really great bonus part of that story is, you know, I would be sitting in worship or in worship on Sunday mornings in the church I was going to there in Dallas. And God would give me these ideas, these business principles in scripture that I would, while people were worshiping, I would sit down and I would write just some notes down. And I would then on Monday and Tuesday, I would take them back to work and I would implement these things. At first I started just sharing them with my boss and he's like, where are you getting this? And then I would start telling him, it's like, it's okay, just do it. And they would work. And it started making him a lot more money, a lot more money than I ever took from him. And it got to where it was just, if you got the idea, go for it. My employer, like I think of Joseph, right? My employer got favor of God by what God was doing in my life. My employer didn't know the Lord then. He's one of those guys that God used to observe my, my story and his own life later being transformed. When I left there, he didn't know the Lord. But just a short time afterwards, he did come to know the Lord. It's an incredible thing to get to be called the sons and daughters of God. So we see those three C's of, of salvation. Conviction, confession, conversion. If, we, if we've walked down those, we've got salvation. We do, that's it, right? We, we've, we're in. Woohoo! We also see this thing that's not a matter of salvation. It's not a salvation um, issue, but we are, we're called after that to baptism, Right? Right? And baptism is a symbolic act that we would put, we're, we're saying to a, to a world of, rela of, of relationships that know us, whether it's our church body, if we invite our friends, our family, our coworkers, that, those that have, have some element of relationship with us, right, that we invite them to come and celebrate this proclamation that we are being put down in water as my old man is going away. He's, I'm drowning him, right? <laughs> and I'm coming up in new life that it's Christ that's going to live in me. It's an important, it's an important act, baptism. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's a great question. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right, in that great exchange, he took it. He took my hot mess and he took your hot mess and he put it to death, right? He who knew no sin knew my sin and knew your sin. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what we're supposed to be doing is walking in newness of life. For if we, for if we have been united with him in death, with a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, thank you, Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer, we would no longer be slaves to sin. And I tell you, I don't like that I choose sin, but you know what I love that I have the choice now. Because there was a day it wasn't if I was going to sin, it was how I was going to sin. And I was a slave to sin. I was going to medicate my hurt. I was going to give way to my flesh. My flesh ruled. It was miserable. Right? It was pleasure in the moment, but later it was awful. The price tag was always more than I could, I could bear and more than I wanted to pay. And I had friends and coworkers that, that knew that me. So the baptism is one of those places that we get to invite them to, hey, here's my new life. Here's my commitment. I invite you to challenge me, to watch me, and by God's great grace, follow me in this new life. If we had just, if, if that was enough, all right, we would, it would be plenty, right? If we just had salvation, right? Man, God, you've been so good to me, right? It's a terrible place to be in conviction and have no solution. But he's given us a solution. He's given us baptism, right? But he's also given us something else. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? I've often thought, how wonderful, my life would be so different if I could just walk with Jesus like his disciples did. I can be honest with you and tell you, as I look at the story of Judas, I would go, if I was a disciple, I most identify with Judas. So even if I'd walked that day, it wouldn't have been probably be a good day for me, a good life for me. But here's what, here's what John says about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 7 through 15. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to... I'm going to go in this version here. To our advantage that I go away, Jesus said. For if I do not go away, the helper will come to you, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. That's been my experience and your experience. And righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, he, he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will, make, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see the Holy Spirit, man, that he is, he's ever with us. He's a helper. He's a guide. He's a convictor of sin, right? That, that, again, conviction, convictor, that place that we need, right? As we move into and move through sanctification, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just leave us to roam the earth and say, well, one day in the by and by, you'll enter eternity and we'll, 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 we'll take on our relationship from there. But in and with the Holy Spirit, we have this fellowship with God. We have access to the Father. We have access to all that Jesus has, and Jesus has everything that is the Father's. 
So, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. You know, as y'all look at me, you may think, hey, this is great. Memory lane's wonderful. I've got all that. I've had it. I've had it for a month, six months, a year in some cases, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe 40 years, maybe longer. Think of Dale here, 50, 60 years walking with the Lord. So, Pastor, you're wasting my time. Let me just invite you before you dismiss me there to just to go back and think again. Do you remember that, that time, that place of conviction when hope burst alive in you? You know, that place in our testimony where I was lost, but now I'm found. That's our testimony, right? It's a wonderful thing. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What was the heart of Christ in his day? Wasn't it to please the Father? When Christ came and he did this great exchange, did that burst inside of you? This desire to please the Father? To get to know this one who would take on your sin, to take on your debt, to take on your death? Did that stir in you? Does that stir in you? I ask this in, in, in different environments, but what motivates us in our walk with the Lord? I know what motivates me is gratitude. God, you've been so good to me. Can you reflect on your own story and acknowledge that? What motivated Jesus? I believe he was motivated by fellowship with the Father and his heart to please the Father. He loved what the Father loved and he ransomed what the Father loved. That's what we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. I look at me and nothing against you. I look at you. I look at humanity and I go, God, I don't see what you see. We're a hot mess. But if you're willing to make the great exchange, I'll show up. I'll bring my debt. In Acts eleven sixteen, the followers of the way, that's what it was called in Jesus' day and shortly after his life, the way. The followers of the way were first called, they were first called Christians, which means little Christ. Can you imagine that, that? People would see your life, not just hear or see our cross or our fish, but they would observe our lives and say, you look like this guy Christ I've heard about. Wow. What a compliment, right? Let me ask a question. Is there a little Christ that lives in you? Do we want to ransom what Christ came to ransom? Because we are that little Christ in the 21st century. Right? When he shows up again, ransom time is over. You know, I mentioned earlier that sphere of influence. You know, I've got I've got brothers and uncles and aunts and family and friends from Florida to Texas to different parts of the country and world that don't know the Lord. And, man, you know what my prayer is, is that a little Christ will show up in their sphere of influence and ransom what is lost. Is that our heart? And that's the heart of Christ. Let me ask you another question. What motivations need to be adjusted in our lives that that 
part of my heart that Christ can come and be utmost in my life. My aim isn't to shame you or myself this morning, but it is to jar awake what needs to be jarred. That's the way I'll say it here. Sometimes we need a good swift kick in the shorts to be reminded of what really has value, what's really important. I was running in Walmart yesterday and grabbing some, some drinks and I was running late to a family event and had an opportunity to express a, a kindness. And I was like, God, I'm, so, I'm late, right? It's the story of my life in reference to my family at least, I'm late. I overcommitted and I'm under-delivering God. But what I saw needed in Christ, it needed kindness. It was just going to be two or three more minutes. And here's what went on inside of me. When I looked into the person's face, was I willing to say, hey, I'm sorry. But Jesus in me doesn't love you that much. He doesn't have time for you. And I couldn't say it. I wouldn't say it, not this time. I would apologize to my kids. I would apologize to my in-laws and to my wife. And I would bring room temperature beverages in instead of cold ones. But I would not give that person Jesus. And I didn't pray with them. I didn't give them the Bible. I just gave him the little Christ in me. I gave him kindness. I gave him hope. I gave him joy. And in closing, here's, just, here's my final question. I've got a couple of scriptures, but a final question. Today, it can be this morning, it can be this afternoon, it's going to be a busy day, it could be this evening. But would you, would I, and I haven't done this yet, okay? I'm just throwing this out there. Will we take some time and get in a quiet place with the Lord? And say, God, there's a lot of things competing for the little Christ in me, for that attention. Would you bring conviction? Would you help me reprioritize things? Would you help me to love what you is that you love? Would you open the door for me to be a, for the Christ of me to be a ransomer, just like the person that you used to ransom me? Would I make that a priority? Would I? And I don't know what that is or if there's anything that's there. I know for me there is. And I'm just asking you to get in that quiet place and let God speak to you. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't fix ourselves. We can't reprioritize in such a way that it's going to be what it ought to be. But we can get in the presence of God. And we can say, God, I welcome your conviction. You discipline those that you love. going to feel like discipline when he talks to us. Hebrews 11, 12, 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And I can vouch for that. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't like discipline when it's happening, but I love the results of it. I used to get up in a lifetime ago and run. I really like running, but I like the thinner me. I like the sharper-minded me. I like the healthier me. But it took discipline. Second Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, 
You then, my children, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. That's us. We're the faithful men and women that this has been in, this gospel's been entrusted of our day, right? This was Paul to Timothy. But this is God's word to us. We've been entrusted with it. We are those faithful men, faithful women who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Here's the hurt. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. How many things are we in civilian pursuits of? It hurts. It's like walking on hot coals. But when we go into the presence of God and say, God, these, these pursuits, are they of you? Are they busy work? Are they avoidance? My final verse, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. That's Jesus, right? Jesus and compassion. That should be us. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Would we make that prayer? Would we pray earnestly? Would we be that for our community? Would we pray that God would send that person? Can we say with boldness, God, send someone like me into my loved one's life? God, the same tenacity, the same commitment level that I have for you, would you bring that person into this person's life that I love? I can tell you sometimes I say, God, please don't do that. But I'm asking that we would pray that. Would we engage God there? Would we find that quiet place and let God speak to us? Because, guys, there's a day coming, and I believe it's fast approaching that, that our, our Lord and Savior is going to come and he's, it's, it's, it's over. Right? When he comes, this dispensation of grace is over and it's judgment from that point forward. And I look, I look at our town. I look at the people that I love. And I go, man, they're not ready. They're on the wrong side of this equation. As was I. God, would you stir that in me? Would you stir in me this love? Would you remind me of what I was actually called for? What you redeemed me for? Would I get involved in my father's business? Because he doesn't want to just take up residence and go, whoo, this is great. No, he wants us to do the works of him. He wants us to love what, we lo what he loves. So that's my prayer, that we would earnestly pray, that we would seek him, that we would say, God, stir me in my first love again. You married couples know that, right? How often we have to come back to that, that first love? So that's my prayer. That's my invitation to you. I'd love to bring three points in a poem and just be able to cheerlead what we're doing. So I ask the Lord for it, but he just doesn't give that to me right now. He gives me this. He says, challenge my people. 
So my aim is to, to close in prayer. And just to invite you to, whether it's here, whether it's against your car, it's your home somewhere today. You're responsible for what you've heard this morning. Do something with it. This isn't my message, it's the Lord's message to us. Amen? Let me ask you to stand. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Though this is not my favorite message to bring. But Father, I know it's a, it's a timely message. Father, it's your heart. Father, I, I ask that you would bring conviction, Father. We welcome your conviction. Father, as a pastor, as an elder here at this church, as an overseer here, Father, I ask that, Father, to the extent that I have influence here, Father, I, I ask that you would come by your spirit and you would move among us, Father. That we would do business with you, Father. That we would come back to our first love. Father, we love you and we are grateful for you. Father, we don't want to just be consumers of the good things that you bring, Father. Father, we want to be like the wise servant who used the good things that you brought to, to gain for your kingdom. Father, let that be our story. Let that be our testimony. Lord, we love you. We are grateful that we are called the sons and daughters of God. We ask that you would stir in us a desire, a fresh motivation to do something with this holy title position that we hold with you. We ask this in Jesus' great name, our Savior and our Lord.